So I went, I picked the date from the time I first passed the captain's test. Like I was on the list to the time now. And I had like 185 move up days, which is over a year of acting. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are those of your host, myself, and our guest. Today, my guest is a brother by the name of Billy Burnett. He is a firefighter in the valley. He is an all-around tremendous dude, and we had a fantastic conversation. Uh, And matter of fact, it picks up uh, in mid-conversation. So without further ado, enjoy. That's going to be an anxiety-ridden. I, I can't even imagine having kids in high school. That's going to – because I had a good high school experience, but I know I was a good kid in high school, and I know all the crap that I got away with. <laughs> so, uh. Well, you know, the young adults, when they're going through that phase, um, and I think I'm being very generous calling them young adults, yeah. but kiddos, when they get into high school, like – you know, you look at your experience and of course that strikes fear into your heart. Cause you go, man, I yeah. was a moron. Oh and, yeah. And, uh, I did stupid stuff and I can only hope that our kids are smarter than us and behave better than us. And, and so far my kids haven't disappointed. They were, they've way smarter than me and, um, have behaved way better than I ever did. Yeah. It, it, as far as I know. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I had, you know, I had a good head on my shoulders and you know, I was obviously went to a really small high school where everybody knew each other and the background with my dad being, you know, where'd you grow up? Uh, Wickenburg. So I went to high school in Wickenburg, Okay, but I didn't grow up there. So, um, we moved there my, uh, between my eighth grade and my freshman year. So yeah, I came from Saudi Arabia. Oh, okay. D- go back. Tell me more. All right. You're going to start from the beginning. We can just start. All right. So born. So, yeah. Tell us. Give in, well, First of all, uh, we should probably acknowledge the fact <laughs> that we've hit, rec- I've hit the record button and we are having a conversation with my boy, Billy Burnett. And um, so, Billy. Yes. Introduce yourself. <laughs> uh, so born Houston, Texas, um, but my parents were just kind of passing through, right? So it was like they were there, but we didn't stay long. Um, moved to Tucson. My dad was a pilot for PHI at the time. So he was working for, he was flying offshore, doing helicopter stuff. He was a helicopter pilot. Um, got out of the Marine Corps. That's what he did. He flew. He was a pilot in the Marine Corps. Yep. yep flew Vietnam era pilot, uh, 67 to 71. So pretty accomplished military record there and got out and just did the natural transition. As a lot of those helicopter pilots did, they had hours. And so companies yeah. at that time, PHI, a lot of those offshore companies were using them. Uh, so he was working for PHI. So real early on, you know, my, pretty much my whole growing up, my dad worked like two weeks offshore and then three weeks home. So he would be home for a couple of weeks and then gone. Um, it was 82. Well, in, I was born in 82 in 80, they had bought a piece of property in Colorado. Um, and in 83, they built a house there and my dad was still living, going offshore. So my mom, we all moved there and my dad just commuted instead of living in Tucson. They lived in Pagosa. Um, nice. yeah, it was, it's, it's a, a high quality choice. Yeah, it was good. So <laughs> Grew up there uh, all the way until the early 90s. And then my dad got a job offer from a company called Petrola Air. And they hire much like the fire service hires. It was, hey, do you know anybody good, any good pilots? Like, and yeah, well, I went to, I was in the Marine Corps with these guys. And so they uh, exclusively hired combat experienced helicopter pilots to be VIP pilots for their clients. And so my dad's duty station, duty, well, he, I mean, he went and he was the private pilot for the King of Saudi Arabia. Oh, wow. Yeah, from 92. Two, so that's you know beginning of the Gulf War until ninety five, ninety six, kind of somewhere in that time. Um, so the Gulf, he went right before the Gulf War started, 
and we were supposed to go with him. And obviously, he was in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. World's a little bit different at that point. So we just hung out in Colorado. Um, and then we went to Saudi Arabia in 92, 93 is when I got there. And then I lived there for two and a half, almost three years. Interesting. How old were you at that point? Like uh, 11, 12. Oh, wow. 10, 11, 12. So that kind of like, I can remember it. Yeah. But it, I was still a kid. Um, what was interesting, though, is where we lived, there was... Um, a lot of foreign, like it would be like people from England, like it, but it was like a big apartment complex, like a really big apartment complex. Hmm. And so you had like people who worked in all sorts of different industries there. And um, I went to a British preparatorial. So it's kind of like the United Nations of yeah, it was crazy for different corporations I mean, and businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just had people from all over the world that lived there. Um, and as a 10, 11 year old, that's a very uh, influential time in your life, for and, sure. and you're getting to see a much bigger perspective, right? Not only are you living in a com- country that's completely different from where you're from, um, you, you're you getting exposed to all different types of people, different faith backgrounds, different ideological backgrounds, um, just different ways of growing up. Uh, one of my best friends that I met there, we used to ride bikes together and just cause mayhem together as much as possible, as boys should at that age. Um, he was from England. His dad was some sort of engineer. My parents let me go fly to England. We were back stateside, and they actually let me fly to London, like, by myself. Like, they put me on a plane, and they're like, Simon's, his name is Simon. His dad picked me up at the airport. Like, oh, wow. And I'm like, 11, you know? Like, my son just <laughs> turned 11. I'm just like, I would never do that. But school trips when we were living there, with the school we went to, um, we would go to, like, we went to Cyprus. We went to Jordan. Oh, um, dang. Yeah, so King Fod at the time, who who I went to like the local zoo. Yeah, (laughs) it was a crazy time for sure. I look back on that, and like my brothers and my sisters, they're like, "You were so spoiled." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my dad was flying for the king. How many siblings did you have? So I have an older brother who passed away when I was sixteen, and I have two Mm -hmm. older sisters. So, um, and then we, uh, it was just a you know I was the youngest by far. Yeah, Um, we were over there. Like my dad would take me to the to the the palace um and we'd go to where the helicopters are on rh1 and rh2 and you know he'd go hey we gotta go test flight you want to go today and we'd go fly you know i'd sit in the back of the king's helicopter and nice i mean it's just such an interesting world and the funny part about it is the whole time my dad worked there he only flew the king a couple times but what he was really there for is the king would put his helicopter on his yacht and he would go out on these cruises and my dad would go pick up his friends and they would play poker and that's what he liked to do so, so he'd ferry the people back yeah, and forth. He'd, just to go, the he'd go pick up his friends from wherever and bring them out to the yacht. And they'd go on these, you know, they'd go play poker and hang out and, you know, just do what friends do. And uh, my dad would just be there as the pilot, him and a, as his partner for a long time. And that was mm-hmm. kind of the early childhood. And then. Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Is there anything about living in Saudi Arabia, specifically that, that sticks out in your brain? Um. Not really. I mean, it was just, it was such a cultural difference, right? So, I mean, I went from a town that, tiny little town in Colorado, which is still home. We still have that place there. Um, And it was just different, just totally different intersects of life. Like, Mm. I mean, it's a Muslim country. um, So, like, you know, nothing, the hour, like, the city shuts down during prayer time, right? So, I remember being, like, in um, the shopping mall, the souks, and we would it would be prayer time and you'd have to leave. And then like the, just the cultural difference of having like a religious police and then like a regular police. And then, you know, the traditional Arab garb my mom had to wear. And then, you know, like we could just walk around however. It was just a very, just the experience I think alone is what sticks out. Um, 
I mean, you got to remember too, like this is like, I remember one birthday party, my parents got me or somebody got me an MC Hammer CD. Like that was, I mean, that's the time period, right? Yeah. And it was just so different culture. Like, so it was just like, ah, this is like music from, it was just two different worlds. So, um, it was really funny. It was it was a good time. You know, it was so I'm guessing you went to school with all those kiddos from the, in the in what I'm calling the United Nations yeah. apartment complex. Well, I went to uh, Jeddah Preparatorial British Academy. They were all I was the only American among all British kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting experience to say the least. Um, there is not a lot of, if I remember right, there wasn't a lot of schooling options for foreigners, and so um, at that time, and, and as of most of Middle East kind of Europe, there's a lot of, of British people who like move around, and so the schooling system is very important. So um, I went there for a couple years. I've actually got like a yearbook from there. I remember, oh, yeah. that. I mean, you're a kid, but you know, you kind of remember your time there. So yeah. Nice. So when did you when did you guys move back to the states? Ninety. Uh, four ninety five. So my dad actually was in an accident, helicopter accident. Um, they tie down the rotors on the yacht with a like a cuff so that they don't bounce, and then actually the helicopter will go underneath the deck. When I say yacht, I mean we're talking. It's a big ship. Like you could put. I mean, think for for people who are regionally here. Um, it was a Bell two fourteen ST, which is equivalent to the size of what Firebird ten is. Like it's about the size of the Augusta. So okay. big ship. It's not tiny. Um. And the guy on the other side didn't realize my dad was standing on the other side, put the cuff on it, and it made the rotor blade whip, and mm. it hit my dad in the head, um, compressed his spine, just nasty, nasty mm. injury. Um, I remember, actually, when he came home, uh, we went stateside, had some surgeries, um, and then he was just kind of a parent now, and kind of talking to my dad before he passed, that his flying career was over. He just mm. wouldn't be able to, to pass the safety quals, because um, they had to go do all sorts of crazy, like... Every year they had to like go through flight simulation school and go through to climb out of house. Just stuff that he wasn't going to be able to do physically anymore. Mm-hmm. So we came back here in 95, I think officially was when we landed. We bought a house um, right next to Paradise Valley Community College. So at that time, 101 wasn't there. That school bus depot was, but um, <laughs> I used to ride my bike in that dirt field right there when I was a kid. But that's when we came back stateside. I had family here. So my sisters were here. Uh, my brother was in... Uh, where was he at that time? I think he was in Midland, Texas when we came back. He worked for Texaco. But, yeah, we came back here. And uh, my, my at that time, my grandparents were here. So Phoenix kind of was a kind of a good hub. Right. Yeah. So you wrapped up high school here? and Yeah. My dad uh, my dad was a cowboy, like, through and through, like, whole life, like, cowboy jeans, like, Wranglers, like, the whole deal, the whole bit. And uh, he actually, in high school, was uh, worked on ranches, breaking horses and stuff. So being in the city, quote, unquote, was <laughs> tough for him. Um, so he bought a ranch. They bought a ranch in Wickenburg. So we moved there. I actually moved out. My sister and her husband still live there. They have a, a ranch next to my parents. And I actually moved with them because our house wasn't done being built. And so I started high school in Wickenburg in 96. So, yeah. And went to high school, Wickenburg. Talk at we will. So <laughs> going from Saudi Arabia to Wickenburg, like, yeah. holy cow. <laughs> what a, And then coming from Colorado. Right? So this whole, this big... You know, nomadic. I always say yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty nomadic when I was yeah. younger. So. Well, I feel like that, you know, I had a, a period of my time, a period in my life when I moved around a bunch. I went to four different high schools. Oh, wow. Um, and I feel like, you know, on one hand, like, oh, man, that sucks. Like, you don't get to know anybody, really. But at the same time, you get to, you get really good at meeting new people. Yes. And I think there's something to be said for that. So there's definitely some, some you know, this is me looking at the sunny side of this, of what was really kind of a, a silly period in my life but there's some upside to it 100 yeah. percent. you you get 
comfortable being uncomfortable, which, I mean, I wouldn't have used that term much back then. I wouldn't even know. But now I look back and I go, that's an inherent kind of personality trait of being the new kid. Yeah. I mean, you just, you were the new kid. Um, everywhere I went. I mean, all the way up until high school and then even, you know, kind of post high school. I mean, obviously I've been here since then. Um, my roots are here and, you know, but you still had to be able to meet people and yeah. you know, most of the kids I went to high school with grew up together. So, right. Yeah. How did you cope with that? Those changes? Um, being the new kid all the being time, being the new kid all the time, you know, looking back on it, I really don't know if I really even thought about it that way. Um, I think it was just part of, I just kind of knew, you know, um, there was some like grounding relationships that kind of probably helped me go through that. But I didn't take me long in Wickenburg to meet friends. And matter of fact, uh, some of the core group of friends I have now are all, we're all firefighters in the Valley somewhere. So there's, some of us are in Glendale, some of us in Daisy Mountain. Um, I work in Buckeye. Um, there was this kind of nucleus of people that you kind of just, you could see, okay, hey, that's where the relationships. And, you know, matter of fact, if it wasn't for one of my friends there, I probably would never even thought about the fire service really because that's, he knew what he was going to do. <laughs> and I, I was like, well, that sounds like a cool job. You know, <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of, kind of how I landed. That, coming out of high school, you already had that connection or that was. Yeah. Matter of fact, um, so high school, uh, we actually went to church with a, a friend who worked for the Bureau of Land Management. And so I had always, that Colorado connection is kind of part of all, I mean, I love Colorado still, you know, if anybody who knows me or kind of sees my social media, like my uptick in posting when I'm there <laughs> goes way up because that's home. And, and, and rightfully so when we were traveling, so Wickenburg, Saudi Arabia, you know, all over the place, that was always home. Um, but he worked for the Bureau of Land Management, actually still does. Um, and he got me interested in the wildland portion of it. Mm. So I actually graduated high school on June 5th. Was it fourth or fifth? And my first day with the BLM was June 6th of 2000. Like, <laughs> yeah, I got hired in high school, like, and which is looking back on it, um, you know, sometimes it's all who, about who you know and who's helping you and, and kind of the process. But I mean, I took some classes at GCC while I was still in high school. Yeah. You know, when I was a senior in high school, I think I went to school. I think I got out at noon every day. And then on Fridays, I got out at like nine. So worked at the golf course. I worked at Lost Cab and took college classes and kind of was like, I want to be a wildland guy. You know, that looks fun. <laughs> so Nice. It is. It's, it really is super interesting to think about the connections that we have and how those people influence us through our lives. Right. Yeah. And, and how important those influences are. The, you know, like you, you may not have ever ended up in the fire service had you not had this person in your life who was in the BLM yeah. who kind of turned you on to the wildland portion of it. And yeah, you know, just said, yeah, this is an option. And I tell, I try to tell kids all the time that, you know, look around and, and you, you may not know what you want to do, but just look at what everyone else is doing. Watch the adults in your life and find out what they're doing and then ask them about it. For sure. I, I think it's a theme that there's been a lot of uh, retrospection for the past couple of years as, as just part, portion of my life, but thinking about things that have made me who I am now, mm -hmm. looking back, like the idea of having mentors and mentoring people like that was happening without even me really even knowing, like when he was like, Hey, what are you going to do after high school? You know, we, we, uh, we use a lot of college kids will work during the summer. You make, I mean, very good money for a seasonal job. Mm -hmm. Uh, you get to travel, you get to see some stuff. It's a good job. And then you go to school during the other part of the year and you go from there. And so for me, I was like, 
I have never been, I, I don't set still well. So school for me was difficult. Um, I mean, I, you know, I always, I always laugh at people. I go, I barely graduated Wickenburg high school. That tells you how smart I am. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I, I got through school, but I, college route was not like right out of high school. I knew I was like, I don't really want to go to, I wanted to go to college for the college experience, but the idea of sitting in classes, I was like, <laughs> oh, you don't mean the academic experience. Yeah, you no. mean the social experience. Yeah. yeah so, sure. so when you first had a, so what would you, what were you doing for BLM? Uh, wildland firefighter, so entry-level wildland firefighter. Um, I worked at the time. The BLM had an office here in Phoenix. It's up off of uh, Deer Valley by the airport there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no longer there. They have an office there, but the fire portion for this region is in Wickenburg. Um, yeah, I was on a little brush truck, like a Type 6, so three-man crew, um, and that's how I started. And then they would bump me around a little bit. I was on uh, basically a Type 3 engine for a little bit. Um, and then out of that office, uh, that station, we had – a type six, a type three, and there's a hell attack crew. And then my first season didn't really do much with the hell attack guys, um, a little bit, but just, we were, we were busy. I mean, I got to travel parts of the United States. I'd never been, we went to Iowa, spent a lot of time in Nevada, uh, a little bit in Utah. Um, we didn't do much in Arizona. I remember and we were kind of out. And so you'd be gone for three weeks, have a day off. And it was a great job for an 18 year old. I would like, say that would be a ton of fun. Yeah. What, um, what are some, some takeaways or some, what were the yeah, takeaways, but what are some experiences that you had that really stick with you from that time period? Yeah. Um, so the biggest one is so that the first season was pretty much standard, like job started going to school, but the second season, um, they have a thing called detailed. So what happens is, is towards a part of a season, uh, certain other entities like hotshot crew will lose somebody for some reason. They'll either retire or go back to school or whatever. Well, an opportunity came up for the Prescott Hotshots. So not Granite Mountain, that was part of the city, but the National Force, the Prescott Hotshot site. Um, a spot came open there, and they asked me if I'd be interested in going and doing that. So I'm 19, maybe just turned 19, um, and got detailed over to Prescott for, I think I was there for over a month. I can't remember exactly how long I was there. Uh, hardest work I've ever done in my life. I mean, legit, that is hard work. Uh, but... The, Do you mean specifically Prescott, or you mean in general? Like in general, like that yeah. was that was a different ball game. Yeah. Like that was that was my first real introduction to like um, working real long. I mean, we, on the engine we were on, you were going fires, but and you and you had a role and a function on there, but it was nothing like being on a Type One crew. Like you were digging line all day long. I mean, the very my very first introduction to that is we were in, just outside Elko, Nevada. We drive all night, get there. You know, you, you get out and there's a helicopter waiting and they're like, Hey, they're flying you guys over here. You're going to spike camp and then you're digging line. And we just dug line for days. <laughs> I mean, it really was like, um, I thought I had a pretty good work ethic. I still think I have a pretty good, I mean, my dad was a Marine Corps, you know, I grew up on a ranch. I, I've shoveled horse poop before, you know, like I've done, I, I feel like I can work. It's pretty. And that was like a slip, like this is hard work. And, uh, it was a cool experience. It was my first real experience to, to the, larger camaraderie that the fire service experiences Mm -hmm. like so as a crew at the blm office i experienced a little of it probably just naive to what was going on it was just but we were always out and about and the most people i really worked with was the other two people on my crew that is 20 people um pt together eating together uh just you know like how the culture works um you know where you sit on the bus on the buggies like just the whole the that that whole experience was my first time going okay 
Um, you know, you get a lot of people who are in and out of the military who go into that field. Um, it definitely was shaping it. It was like an eye-opening experience. It was really good for me. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was probably, probably one of the better experiences I had as a kid. I'm glad I had it. So what, did, how did they shape their team? You know, how did the, how did the guys shake down the team and, and so at the create time, that? Yeah. The rank so at the, file? um, a lot of, from what I remember, so you have like the boss, um, and it was a guy and I can't remember his last name. His first name was Curtis. He actually was, they were burned over. I remember he was a really well-known guy because he was actually survived a burn over back in the day. Right. So he had instant respect. Like this guy knows like people fall. He was a leader and you knew it from when you met him. Super nice guy. Um, then each team kind of broke down, you know, you had your Sawyers and the guys who worked with those and then just guys like me who just grab a tool and let's work the grunts yeah the grunts but each like squad boss was just he kind of let you know where what your job was going to be and then there was like a senior guy it, much like the fire services now that kind of showed you the ropes like hey this is we one of the things they did every time we were done is they sharpen their tools right so after you're done everybody comes in certain people starting to develop uh get over there and like start the meal prop whether it's an mre or we're actually going to a chow line or whatever but it was like, we sharpen our tools. Um, that crew, we didn't travel without shaving. So like you would, they would, I mean, they were like, there was things about them that they took a lot of pride in and that came from, in, or from them. And you kind of knew when you looked around, you were like, okay, this is how, this is kind of how I'm supposed to behave. This is how I'm supposed to conduct myself. Um, I remember like I hadn't been there long and they made me tell a joke in front of everybody. Like, <laughs> Hey, this is Billy. He's from the BLM. He's going to be with us, you know? And they were, I, I remember it all being very good, but they were like, hey, so kind of a new thing is you got to tell us a joke. And so you have 19 other people looking at you and you're like, I don't know. If, I don't even remember the joke. Yeah, I make told. me laugh more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it kind of, it was, it was good. So it was a good experience, but it was really that natural, um, wherever you fell into, there was a guy there who kind of taught you and kind of, and, and I had had a season of BLM experience underneath me. Like I had been on some fires and been on some bigger incidents where we were there for a long time, but just simply like how you how you form and how you walk and the cadence of how you work, um, they just passed it down, and so um, it was uh, it was good. I wish I don't have any regrets about like my time there. I wish I would have known that experience to be like it was, and I wish I would have had the ability to do that more. That was I had a lot of fun doing that. It was cool. It was a good time. So what were you doing in the off seasons? Um, going to school, going to GCC. Um, I kind of knew. You look around the wildland stuff, and you start to realize that that's a young man's game. Oh, so you don't see a lot of old dudes? <laughs> no. And um, you start to realize that the rhythm of life for that is going to be really hard. Um, matter of fact, we had in the BLM, he didn't, he wasn't there very long. I think he worked a half a season or a season with us, a kid whose dad was on the job with Phoenix. And he came in, and he was used to the fire department as we kind of know it now. And he was like, wait. What, what is this all? And it's that the wildland is not, it's a much different culture, much different world. Like there's no stratos and TVs and the rhythm is different. And so I remember being like, I remember that conversation with him and I had some friends who were trying to get hired with the municipal department. And so I'm like, well, that kind of looks good. Um, and I remember I went on a ride along with, uh, where was I? I was an EMT. I went on a ride along with engine 192 with Peoria. Um, and actually my very first ride along official ride along with them, I, was maybe it was my second was the day that they went down and got to do the tour of the Tarver incident. So mm -hmm. they, they went down there. So like my first experience 
was them getting to go down and do the walkthrough when the city, when the region. So you went through and walked through Southwest Supermarket? Yeah, cursor. I was on the kind of, I didn't get to go in the portion because I didn't have PPE, but I got to be on the outside. I got to see it. I got to hear the critique from that standpoint. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, very young at that point, but going to school. Were you studying? uh, Just caught me to EMT. Yeah, just trying to, you know, I want to be a firefighter. I knew it. And so, like, (laughs) I got my EMT. what else was I doing there? I was reserving for Black Canyon City, like many people at the time. Um, so I knew I was kind of making that transition to like trying to get hired with a municipal department. So I kind of probably taken, I don't even remember. I don't even think I took, I remember I took all my like English and all that later on. Um, Cause there were some guys around the job. Now we were all trying to get it done after we had already kind of got on the job, but yeah, just, do you live in that college experience, trying to work a little bit? And so that's in, what, like 98, 99? That's 2000, 2001, right Oh, there. okay, a little yeah. bit later. Yeah, so because I went through the – matter of fact, I went through the Firefighter 1 and 2 uh, during 9-11. So I was in the GCC Fire 1 and 2 when 9-11 happened. Um, yeah. So another kind of like pivotal – lots happening in the world. And yeah. I'm at a young age. And so there's this culmination of like a lot of travel, a lot of new experiences – and then this new experience, and then obviously 9-11 changed America and changed the fire service culture tremendously. I mean, I had a brief exposure to pre-9-11 fire service, and then obviously I've grown up in the post-9-11 yeah. fire service and what, what we do now. What do you think some of those changes are? Um, well, one, the amount of stuff we've taken on, right? I mean, you just see, in the fire service specifically, you see the growth of the fire department. Um, culturally, too, when I first got hired... Um, now the city of Buckeye at that time operated a little bit different, but, um, there was still a lot of trade era firefighters. Like most of the guys on the, that I met were, had a background in the trades. Um, they'd been on the job for a long time. The fire service is a little bit different versus now where it's almost a full-time job trying to get hired. You know, we, hi- we do see the hiring process where we got guys who are carpenters and stuff like that, but it was a lot more prevalent. Everyone knew a painter, a mechanic, you know, and so the emphasis on that blue collar I felt that a lot more. I, I think that that was something that I recognized early on um, to where now the educational piece in the fire service has changed tremendously. I mean, just look at all the things we're involved in, you know, that, that, you know, later on when I had the opportunity to do some special operations training and go through TRT and hazmat and all that, you know, that's when the squads were coming online. So the, our system regionally was changing too. Like, I mean, there was what, two, three TRT teams, maybe a half dozen hazmat companies. Now every city has, at least one, if not both components to that. So you're seeing this big trajectory. I mean, no fire service. I mean, I don't think we did a lot of Homeland stuff. FEMA was a little bit different. And now the whole, you can just look back and just go, Oh wow. That really started kind of post kind of post nine 11. Yeah. I think it was there before, but I mean, the funding and all that came for it. Yeah. I would add to that list. That's a, that's a really good list. I I think I would add to that is the relationship with, Local law enforcement has e- has evolved tremendously. Oh, man. The sharing of information oh, yeah. and um, you know the partnering, the sharing of radio channels, and, and working together for in violent incidents and things like that has evolved tremendously. Yeah, look at where we're at now with like you know the active shooter stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, for us, I think it's common for every city. You know, we go on the law enforcement tactical channel when they're when we run calls with them. We talk to their dispatch. There's mm-hmm. a giant evolution in that side yeah. for sure. I, I think I say this a lot on this on this podcast, but I feel like change is something that is, as much as we despise it, right? It is constant, and oh, yeah. it, which just kind of makes me laugh because we're like, like, oh yeah, I don't, you know, change is such a, it's so hard for us, but but we do a lot of change, 
and uh, we're constantly evolving in our in EMS in the fire you know the fire side of the house we're growing and evolving and changing our yeah. our SOPs and, and behaviors and, and adjusting to the operational context that's around us and you know it, we're, I think we're really good at it actually I think you know it can be hard at times but it's it's something we do a lot of actually yeah we I would totally agree with that if you look right now at the information that is shared just just by social media um the amount of learning and the communication and the shared experiences from everything from podcasts like this to pages that are one minute videos you just look at what we're doing and how we're growing and the the experience that you can get um i had someone tell me one time you can learn two different ways you can learn by doing it, or you can learn on someone else's scholarship. Like they experienced it, learn from them. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of that. Um, you know, I think it was, uh, when Creston um, was on here and uh, he was talking about the difference between pros and amateurs is watching tape, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of training that happens on that level of, man, we don't run that many fires. Like we may not get those fires, but there's some people, I mean, how many people are running helmet cams now and we're getting good live, like you're getting like, Oh, okay. That's what fire behavior looks like. And someone can show you a video and just that whole concept of growth, I think for us is really changing things. Um, I mean, look at all the body cam footage from shootings we have now and the, how PD is using that to train their people. Right. Uh, we're using that. Um, Right. Well, and you look at too, like the UL has really evolved in their testing they're doing. Absolutely. And and the sharing of information um, across the fire service is much more robust. So, yeah, it's, we are learning a lot. And that's, you know, interestingly, we talk about the change in the actual folks that come into the fire service. A lot more of them are coming from an academic track. Mm -hmm. Some of that track is fire science degree, which I don't think existed 20, 25 years ago, right? And not in the same, not the way it looks today. Yeah. And there certainly wasn't master's programs for fire station administration. Like, right. We got that's a, you know, exactly. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a really good point. Right. So that whole academic piece has evolved, um, because the job itself has become more, you know, while the fundamental task level elements of it are the same, it has the, the, the broad, the all hazards scope of this occupation has evolved tremendously. So anyway, that's a long tangent, but what, so you, we go back. When okay. did you get on the job? Um, so in 2001, end of 2001, I'm in the fire one and two, um, beginning of 2002, I got hired as a reserve with at that time town of Buckeye. So the way that the city operated then was it was a one full-time firefighter and there was, we had one station, two reserves, and then we used a part-time captain, um, from other agencies. High majority of those captains came from the city of Phoenix. Yeah. So, um, and there were some from Peoria and Glendale and a couple other places, but you know, a lot of them came from F- city of Phoenix. And so I worked there for about a year as a reserve. So I was working there as a reserve. I was working at that time. The city of Avondale had a reserve program. You're kind of like fifth man on the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working there and I was working for Wickenburg rescue. So the ambulance service with buddies I went to high school with. So just picture this, like two 19 <laughs> year old buddies rolling around on an Ambo. And that was the primary EMS. They have a, they didn't have a firebase EMS system at that time. So lots Sounds of, legit. <laughs> it just, you know, oh man, I look back, I'm like, oh man. But, um, we oh, surprisingly oh. did really good. We had good, p- good medics and good mentors there, but you know, it was funny when you see, when a teacher saw, you know, these two kids that had them in class two years ago and they're like, what, what are you guys doing? You yeah, know, why are you here? Yeah. Yeah. That reeks of risk to me. But <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. But, um, you know, it, it, the system was, was what it was. Yeah. So, um, 
so I was working in Buckeye um, and testing everywhere. And we, uh, I think it was, actually, what's October 3rd, 2002, so 17 years today. Yeah, it's kind of. Kind of Happy anniversary. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I think, yeah, because we interviewed on like a Thursday. We had some spots come open and uh, interviewed on a, I had an interview with City of Phoenix. I had my second on a Thursday afternoon. I had a Buckeye interview on Friday morning and I got a job offer from Buckeye on Tuesday and I was on the truck in Buckeye on Thursday. So it was like this week that was like, bam, bam. And uh, at that time it was on the job training. So we required um, uh, fire one and two, all those certificates. Uh, we, we only hired from our reserve pool. So you'd kind of gotten on the job training there. And then at that time, and, and part of our culture was heavy emphasis on daily training. I mean, there, I don't remember a day coming into work that we didn't go put canvas on the ground or bang up ladders or talk about buildings. And we had some great captains that came through with a wealth of experience and knowledge and who still wanted to mentor. Um, so that was my intro to the fire service, my full-time gig. So got the job. Um, I still remember I was standing in Sunglass Hut at Arrowhead Mall when uh, <laughs> uh, the chief called me and offered me a job. So well, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. It changed your life forever. Yeah, twenty twenty one year old kid. You know, you're like, okay, you know, you just won the lottery. I tell kids that now when I see twenty one, twenty two year olds, I was like, I didn't. I realized how fortunate I was for sure. Like I wasn't ungrateful, but now looking back on it, I'm like, holy moly, you won the lottery. You know, because at seventeen years, I'm thirty eight now. You know, like. I've grown up in the fire service. Um, but also from my career standpoint, I'm still a young man. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> my knees still work pretty good. So, yeah, yeah. I don't feel that way anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, um, no, that's amazing, dude. So that I love, I love that memory being recognizing that you were in the sunglass hut and you know, the, your life transitioned. It is interesting though to look back and have this perfect recollection of that and go, okay, now I can see what I actually have gotten myself into. You yeah. know, all these years later, you go, okay, um, there's a transition that has taken place in my career and I've evolved over these years and I can actually appreciate the true value of what happened for me. Oh, for sure. Because I mean, as any, as anyone knows, like you're going to have ups and downs, right? A whole career is like, you're on a trajectory. Hopefully you have good mentorship and you're on a, a good path. But there was a period of my career where um, I was on a path that was probably going to lead to just being a crappy employee, you know, just mm. out of shape, uh, probably a little arrogant. You, get, you hire a 21-year-old kid and in a city that grew very rapidly, had a lot of seniority right away. Um, you can see how if you're not getting the right if you're not being led properly or you're not not being a good follower, I think there's two sides to that for sure. Um, you could really get yourself messed up. And that kind of happened to me. Like I, I had a period in my career, man, I was up to physically, I think I've shown you that picture, but I was like 230 pounds, you know, and I'm, I'm not a tall guy. Like I'm the tallest male in my family at 5'8". Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Short Italian family. But, uh, you know, I don't wear 230 pounds well and you can't do the job well at that weight. And that has some psychological ramifications too. Mm. Um, how did that manifest for you? So I actually remember this time period pretty well. Um, I started having a lot of anxiety for random anxiety. Like we'd go on calls and I would just like, it would eat at me. And I'm not talking like calls that are bad, quote unquote bad. I'm talking like easy run of the mill, normal everyday 
problems that we solve and it would just something would stick with me and so i was having like what i now would kind of call panic attacks i'd be like just a different person i remember getting nauseous coming back from call i'm like what is going on um so my physical health isn't that good you know and i have a tendency to put on weight pretty easily so i was eating poorly wasn't exercising starting to have this mental kind of like what is going on and i'm in a trajectory in my career where like i have enough time on to be comfortable but that's dangerous. Like mm, I felt comfortable yeah. with my skill sets, but I, looking back, didn't have any experience, didn't have any knowledge, wasn't in, the, in a good headspace. Mm. So it was right about the time my wife got pregnant with our son. And it was just this culmination of like, okay, what is going on? And I was lucky enough to have a couple people in my life that I was like, hey, I'm experiencing all of this. And they were just really honest with me. And I was like, oh, are these, are these friends that are on the job or just acquaintances in other places? Um, so one of them was a guy I went to church with, um, and he was kind of the, he was kind of the first person who like, was like, Hey, you know, there's like people like counselors and psychiatrists that can help out with a lot of things. And I was like, Oh, um, why is he telling me this? Yeah, Why is he telling me this? He's like, Hey, and he, he really looking back, he could probably see some, you know, trending behaviors and he just knew me and he was just, he was just like, Hey dude, you know probably drinking a little too much and you really have put on some weight. Um, and then I had a friend in the fire service and, uh, who I was just telling this, I I had a call that was bugging me and I just talked to him about it. And he's like, he goes, dude, he goes, you, you need to do, you need, there needs to be a little bit of a change. Um, and I was like, yeah, I I agree, you know? And so that kind of started the genesis of a real transformation for me. Um, it, took a little bit you know i imagine right because it's not it's not you know how long did it take you to gain all that weight right that's one thing it doesn't you can't just shed it and like you know what oh i just had an epiphany i'm freaking out probably has something to do with my health has something to do with stress at work boom flip a switch and all's well it doesn't work like that well too during that time there was another stressor my wife and i were having difficulty um having a baby Mm. and so there was just all and i mean this is like, there's just a multitude of things you looked in my life and I was like I was not aware of all that stuff and so when that epiphany happens you're like or that at least the realization that things need to change it's exactly like you said you're like well where do I start oh my gosh like yeah. where how do you start like and that in of itself can add stress because it's so freaking overwhelming yeah well I was another just super fortunate thing that happened to me I bought a Groupon for a boxing gym in South Scottsdale and it's not there anymore and I was like I'll try this because I was never like a gym rat. I'm still not a gym rat. I'd much rather go run around evident by like later on in life started, you know, running crazy amounts of distances and doing all that. I just, I like to be outside. I couldn't just go to the gym and lift weights. That wasn't going to work for me. So I bought this Groupon. I show up to this gym and this guy walks over and he's like, hey, I'll be your trainer. You know, you know how Groupon works. It's like six sessions for like 50 bucks or whatever. Right. And uh, start talking to this dude. Well, lo and behold, he's trying to get on the job. Um, and, uh, He's a little bit older guy, not older, man. He, he's probably going to listen to this and, and kill me because he works for Phoenix now. Um, so, but he, he's, he was testing to get on and you could just tell talking to him, like he, this is a guy who had lived a life. he had some experience and he had some perspective and he started training me and then he kind of hooked me up. We so I started seeing like, he's like, Hey, keep coming back to the gym. You know, we'll make it affordable because at the time, you know, my wife's at home. She, this is, she'd been laid off. She was a teacher. That was when all the teacher layoffs happened. I had my first baby. He was, you know, he's like, and then he started like helping me out. And so that was just a that, and you start seeing a little bit of results and you start to feel a little bit better. Uh, at the same time, I'm seeing a, a, a counselor who she like, 
I remember just one conversation she had with me. She just pulled this book off and she just, she goes, she read this. And it was like this description. She's like, any of that sound familiar? And I was like, yeah, like that, 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 that. <laughs> she's like, yeah, that's, it's common. And she's like, you're okay. You're not crazy. It's just, this is what I wrote a book about you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, wait a second. She's like, you know, she's like, you know, we'll get, we'll give you some tools to help cope with all that. Mm-hmm. So all that transition is happening. Um, and, uh, you know, Rory, uh, he probably saved a big portion of my life. He doesn't know it. I've told him that before. I said, Hey man, your influence helped me out so much. And he was just a, you know, not just, but a boxing trainer and just happened to be the guy I got met up with. And that I started to like see results. And so that just leads to like feeling better, uh, looking better, um, performing better at work. I remember we had a, a garage fire and, uh, it started in the garage, kind of moved in, in the, the Verado community. The garages are back of the house. And so it started in the garage, gone into the house. Um, a little bit difficult access. We had to pull a horizontal standpipe down it. Like, I remember working and like feeling like, like I could work better. And I was like, whoa, I'm not spent. So like, you're just like, oh, maybe, okay. Like, and that just after that, like after that kind of time period, it, it just took off. I started running then started doing triathlon, then started, I was like, my brother-in-law was doing an Ironman. I was like, well, I want to do that. And so I ended up doing a couple of those. And then I was like, well, what else is out there? And then got into ultra marathons. And so it just kind of like it steamrolled. And my wife will tell you that I can't do anything like half-ass. I whole-ass it. I mean, like I am all in. Once it happens, once the switch is flipped, I'm in. And so that just happened for me. It just was like, oh, wow, like I'm going to do this. And so that, it was really life-changing. It was a really, and during that transition, the backside of all that, I mean, we end up having three more kids and, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, cause you're full of spit and vinegar. <laughs> yeah, <on that. laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we, like we laugh, but we were like, we just couldn't have one kid. We ended up having four, you know, which, right. which apparently is a lot of kids to some people. I never thought it was, you know, kind yeah. of, but yeah. <laughs> Did you ever experience any, like any negative pushback at work or any, you know, if you have any incidents at work that caused, no, issues for you. Um, I think what I experienced was, um, when you are on, and I call it a path that is least desirable. Mm-hmm. So when you're on a team and you're on a path that is detrimental to the team, um, how that is handled internally by your coworkers can range, right? Mm-hmm. You can have people who are like helpful or you can have people who are not helpful and whether they know they're being helpful or hurtful, it, it doesn't, that's not really the factor. Like you can get, they might be pushing on you because they see like, Hey dude, what are you, you like, you, what is going on with you? Like, and you can have people who like can step into your life and be like, Hey, let's talk. Like what's going on? Like why, what's this behavior? What is going on? Um, that's something in the fire service. I've seen a lot of change in like the fire strong stuff. Like, um, that's probably one of the things that I, not enjoy but that is um a deep sense of purpose for me is like i've been there and so like getting to see other people and help them like so the pushback really came in a lot of different ways um but when the change happened when i started to physically people noticed nutrition working out like billy that's the second time you worked out today like that kind of mentality then people are a lot more they're like hey good job you see a lot more feedback. And I've always been super honest with the, um, anxiety portion, the kind of like that mm-hmm. little period of my life, because now we're finding out that that affected a lot of guys. And yeah. it wasn't like one traumatic call, you know, like 
we've all had those calls, you know, I can distinctly remember like, you know, we had a, a child call that just sticks with me for, it'll stick with me for a long time. That necessarily wasn't the call that keeps me up at night. It was just this repetitive behavior. And it was like, and then there was just like the straw that broke the camel's back. And, yeah. you know, talking to Carrie, talking to all these people and now what we're doing, you go, oh yeah, pick, that's my story. Like I'm, I'm right there. Like I, I was there. Um, during it happening, it was uncomfortable. Like my crew definitely like noticed behavior change for sure. They live with you and we work two fours. So we live with each other for 48 hours at a time. And you really get to know people on day two, about three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> you kind of see what they're, you know, so um, it was good. Um, I think the, the feedback I got going forward in Buckeye was um, from my peer group um, was evident. Like it was like, hey, dude, whatever you're doing, keep it up. And that felt good. Yeah. I mean, I think we all, whether we want to verbalize it or not, we want to have some level of respect from our peers. Um, doesn't mean that you're looking, walking around looking for attaboys all the time, but you want to know that, you know, what you're doing who you are is respected by the people you work with. Cause that's the people we live with. That's our, our essentially our family. So, yeah. yeah. And it is, uh, it's interesting that they were more comfortable talking about you on the upways, right. On the stro on the, uh, upswing. Yeah. Um, it, it's easier. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. It's super hard to have that uncomfortable conversation that the dude at your church had with you yeah. to say, Hey man, right now you're walking a path that looks tenuous. Yeah. Right. Like, and I see the lack of sustainability there. You're drinking too much. You've gained a bunch of, Hey, how hard is it to tell someone, Hey man, you're fat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, like it, your, your health is bad and, um, that's gotta be connected to something else. Right. Or your attitude has changed. It's a really hard conversation to have. Um, cause our natural tendency is mm -hmm. to push back. Mm -hmm. that's a natural 100% tendency. You talk to anybody who's in recovery, right? And, and anybody who has gone down that journey, those, when someone reveals something about you that you don't like, but inherently you may know, right. The natural tendency is to push it away because right. hits you right in your ego. Yeah. You're like, I'm fine. Like I can still do the job. I can, st I can still function. Right. No, bro, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. It, that's hard. And you have to have a relationship at some level. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, Agree, hundred yeah. percent. Much easier to be like, dude, what changed? Yeah, because the hard work is kind of already started. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, or hey, are we allowed to talk about you being captain? I mean, up? close. It's close. We don't. We can. We can talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Okay, because <laughs> that's an interesting story too, for sure. So, well, so the reason I bring that up is because. So you're about to become a captain, and I know it's been a long journey for you yep. to get to this place in your career, and. The I think about some of the, the things that have happened to you that shape who you are um, as a human being and shape who you are as a um, soon-to-be company officer, as an acting captain when you're out acting. And, you know, like these experiences we have, uh, your own personal battle with anxiety and gaining weight and all that other jazz, like that shapes who you are as a leader and helps inform your ability to provide that to the troops. Yeah. So... So talk to me about so so let's talk about that since we're since yeah. I opened the, since I opened the camp. yeah no this is a talk about your your experience becoming a captain the journey that you took because yeah. it was not an easy one and done for you no uh, so I've taken six captain's tests um, yeah total of six so when I tell people that 
I always preface that with, you know, I am from Wickenburg and then they laugh and I'm like, no, actually there's a lot of smart people from Wickenburg. So, um, but no, I, I talk about it in the sense that, um, one, the city I work for is we're six station department. We always haven't been six stations. I started there when we had one station. So we've seen tremendous amount of growth, right? So processes happen. Uh, the first process I ever took, I took it just to see what was on a written test. Cause I just didn't, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. Like, so what does a captain's test look like? I had no intention of wanting to be a captain. None of that. I just took it. So that one's always kind of like my, my little caveat. I'm like, I just wanted to see what was a, a written on volume two look like. Uh, obviously I bombed it. I didn't even open the books. Like it was a joke, which I tell people now, if you're going to take a process, put some effort into it, or you're going to get nothing out of it. Cause I got nothing out of it. Um, so a few tests go by a couple times go by. And, uh, this is kind of like probably a year into maybe a year and a half into kind of the weight loss and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I thought I prepared for that next process, process number two, thought I put in work. I cracked the books, talked to some people, uh, took a tactics class, standard stuff, right? Uh, this test for us was a tactical practical, meaning when you passed the written, which I passed, um, you showed up to a fire station, you had four hours. It was, a, the st station was out of service. The truck was moved up to another place to, in the area, but you walked in and when you walked through the door, they were like, everything now is live. And so I had role players and it was, it was a long process. Um, I ended up failing that test during the assessment portion didn't get to move on to the interview portion. What type of stuff do they throw uh, at you? Well, so you walk through the door and you had like, uh, three guys sitting at your company sitting right there. One guy's not in a uniform. Uh, you got, and it was classic, like troublemaker, salty vet, weirdo like that i mean that was your crew and then you had these evaluators watching you and so you had to kind of have your morning expectation talk you had to put your gear on your truck on the truck you had to update the roster mct did you know how to do the stuff that we expect our company officers to do right then you had to go do an inbox on our actual computer in the station look at your e can you log into the emails like a very very practical test like hey do you know how to get onto the s drive and pull off an lsdr form do you know how to organize your day do you know the number to admin do you know just it was all built into that process. Can you manage people um, and, and lead people, really? It's, mm. it's more leading in there. And so I had the classic firefighter who didn't want to put on a uniform. Well, it says fire truck on it. Okay, dude, that's not <laughs> the word fire truck. You know, like, go change your uniform. In the middle of that, you get dispatched to, a, uh, to our training academy. It was a station near our training academy. And you had a simulated fire. And so, you know, fog machine going. And uh, what disqualified me from this situation is your senior firefighter has always done it this way. He pulls the red line off the truck mm. and you had to catch it. So what happened is, is I was looking, I was getting a pseudo kind of look at the building. I was walking around, walking around, go to mask up, assuming my senior firefighter is going to have the right line in his hand. He goes to enter the door and I have my hand on his shoulder and I, and I go to pick up the line to walk in with him and it's the red line. And I grab him. I'm like, what are you doing? I told you, you know, <laughs> whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, this way we've always done it, Cap, you know. They want to see how you react. Um, the qualifying, though, was if the, the nozzle crossed the threshold of the door, you were disqualified. Uh. And he got like a foot in the door. I didn't catch it in time, which is fine. Um, that was the rules of the game, you know. <laughs> and so they let me go through the whole process, got good feedback. Um, obviously, I didn't pass that test. Probably one of the biggest motivating factors from that point on. Because then I was like, okay, now I know what it takes. So we test every two years. So test number three comes around and... I'm like this time I've got like, I'm studying hard. Uh, I've got a fish mentors. I'm taking more classes. I'm at, and that time they were letting me move up. So I've got a little move up time on my own truck. Um, I'm, I think they had started letting me move up by myself, like acting out of class and stuff, go in there, get through the test out, come out number three. 
So I think there was like six or seven of us on the list. So did well. Uh, we promote no one off that list. <laughs> Not one guy. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. So, but I'm getting to move up. And so like you get into, uh, we call it working out of class. So I'm moving up, gaining more experience. Yeah. So next test rolls around and like I'm on it now. And now like I've expanded, there's some other things that are happening. I started teaching regionally. I started like making some relationships. So now I'm writing with like some battalion chiefs from other cities. I'm talking to other people. I'm writing, I'm getting, I'm, I took a class, uh, I think, uh, at the Vic, it was taught. I think Chief Sheps was teaching at the time. I'm expanding my hair. I'm trying to get better, like, because this is going to be a tight competition. Like, I'm kind of like going. I want to get made, and I'm testing with some really good guys. Like, there's not. It's not like, you know, a bunch of slouches. Like, everyone that's taking this process is in the same boat I'm in. Well, and I think I would add here that small organizations, you have smaller number. I mean, you have a smaller number of candidates. You guys know each other, and you hire a smaller number of people. 100. So it's a very. It can be. It's it's very. Um, there's a lot of pressure there and there's a lot of, you know, uh, I don't know how to describe it when you have this, like your peers, your bros are right there with you. I told a guy that I just tested with, I was like, I would work for him as my captain any day, yeah. but I'm testing against him. Like, right. It, it's just a weird dynamic, right? And everybody yeah. knows everybody, right? right. And, so and then you add on top of that, you go through a couple of cycles where you don't actually hire anybody yeah. or you hire one person. Yeah. No one retires, you know, obviously, yeah. you know, it, it just kind of one of those deals. Um, so and we go through it and man, I'm feeling dialed, like probably the best written I've had, you know, and just go through the whole process. Uh, did I come out number two on that? Yeah. Came out number two on that test. I'm like slowly incrementally like, getting bang, better. <laughs> you know, like, so what's that? That's one test. That's number three or four. That's number, so I, I lose track. So I take that test. We hire nobody off that list. So bump, bump, die on the list. Um, test again, same process go through it again. Now the stress of you start having, I think what's hard to describe to people is the what if starts to creep in mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh man, like, is this ever going to happen? You know? And you know that eventually some guys are going to retire, but like now you got some time on the job. Um, it, it just, you know, you kind of, you can't let those creep in. And one of the things that I always felt that I just had good people to tell me this, they always were like, respond, don't react and just respond. Like, don't get discouraged. Just keep going. Take the test. Uh, come out number three, and we promote one guy off that list. And well-deserved, man. He was number one on all the ones. I've, he was always number one. He's just a solid cat. Gets promoted. So righteous hire for sure. So happy for him. <laughs> so now we come to this process, um, and we know we're going to have some hirings. Like we know. Like we got guys in the drop that they're done with their drop, and then we have a couple guys who um, retired, like just up and retired. Um and so it's like, we got some spots. And uh, so we test. Um, this was a year ago, I think we took, went through the process of it. Um, and so in this process, when you got done with it, it was a written tactical uh, set. We do an assessment center, which is basically like an inbox interview, a presentation. And then they hand you like an SCBA and they give you 10 minutes to prepare. And they're like, hey, tell us everything you know about this SCBA. And then you had to give a PowerPoint presentation. Things that are real, kind of real life to a company officer. Because, I mean, I've had it where they've called, hey, the Rotary Club needs you to come down and give a presentation. Can you be there in 10 minutes? Right. That stuff happens. Yeah. C- company officer as instructor is a is an important connection. Yeah. So yeah. they want to evaluate your ability to do all that. Mm-hmm. So obviously at this point in my career, I feel very confident. Um, and go through, do the testing process. And at the end of this testing process, there's one position open right away. 
and uh, they invite three people for a chief's interview to get the position. And I was riding because my firefighter was moved up driving that day. I was sitting in the back seat, and I get the phone call. I'm not one of the three guys, and I'm just like, oh man. Like, and you're thinking in my mind, I'm like, what? Uh, what? You know, I'm I'm like heartbroken, but I'm like, okay, this is we're gonna hire more guys off this list. This is a good list to be on. Don't get down. Don't. So I keep doing my thing, and I and I go around. And I get some feedback in this whole process. Hey, how am I doing? Feedback is always the same. You know, you're doing good. Just keep going. Keep going. Keep pursuing it. Okay. So that's what I keep doing. Um, so Let me just inject here real quick. <laughs> it, it would add too, like it is obviously it's very, very hard to continue to put on a happy face and be yeah. uh, optimistic um, and, you know, visionary, you know, picturing yourself down the road here. But uh, if you allow that, the, the shittiness to creep in and you act on that. It's cancer. Everyone knows, right? Like the 100%. organization will pick up on that, you know, and you think that, oh, I can throw a fit and nobody will notice. But the reality is that everybody notices. So it's, it just, I think it's really, really important to point out that that is a very important mindset. 100%. You know, you got a soldier on. Yeah, it's hard. If, you, if you're deficient in an area, you go and get work on that area and you get better, right? So, and I've always been one, like, I think that's kind of how we've kind of became closer friends was that I've got your number in college. He's like, hey, I got some questions. You want to, can you help me out? <laughs> you know, like right. I want some more perspective because as you keep going, you have to find ways to keep yourself energized and you got to keep putting yourself out there. And that's something that I've, I've done always is just put myself out there. I'm not afraid to look dumb. You know, I'll just, I'll go because I want to learn. I want to be better. Um, if you, that attitude you had, you just have to believe it. You have to be like, no matter what happens, I think I'm on the right path and I'm adding value. Then you're, then you're golden because whatever comes at, like with this process, whatever comes my way, I'm going to just keep down this road because I, I believe what I'm doing is right. And I'm getting the necessary feedback to encourage that. Um, so we get through this one. Uh, this happened about a month ago. We, um, we're going to finish up the process because we got a guy who retired. We have positions come. We have, we're going to hire some captains. So kind of things got put on head because of COVID, right? So COVID is ruining everything. <laughs> yeah. So stuff that was supposed to happen a couple months ago, we had to wait a couple months just because, um, because that's the direction we wanted to take. And I, I honestly think that was a good call. So now we kind of see where we're going to be with monies and all the things that happen in a city, right? Um, and uh, we have another interview for and then they're going to post the list right they're going to tell you this is the ordering process so go in uh have an interview this is a couple weeks ago three weeks ago uh have an interview walk out of the interview and i'm like what just happened like i was like i don't know i don't know if i did good or <laughs> i just i was walked out i was like huh that was weird like i'm like just exhausted you know it's kind of like okay i put it all on the table um we talked about some of the same things like there was follow-up questions that were very specific to my career path like Billy, there was a time when you got real heavy and there were some things going on. Like what changed? So we talked about that. Hmm. It was, you know, there was, there was follow and everybody got those questions. Cause when you're talking about a department and there's six, seven candidates, we all know each other. Right. And the, and the people doing the interview know us. Right. Um, so list posts. And it's funny, I was working on AWR shift trade and, uh, is after five o'clock. So I was expecting a phone call to tell me where we're at. They posted a list. <laughs> just emailed it out or something oh, email. or? oh yeah fired it off like, like, like at five o'clock dude it was kind of funny and uh i was and my wife had texted me she's like you guys heard anything yet and i was like no they said they were taking the weekend and this is like tuesday or whatever and uh <laughs> so i i'm in there we're just you know we're talking i think i was getting ready to go for a run or something i needed to get my mind out of the, off this you know i'm just waiting anticipating 
And my friend who's testing with me, he calls and he's like, congratulations. And I was like, I was like, what? He's like, he's like, congratulations. And I was like, did you get, and I tell him, you get, you get promoted. And he's like, no, but you're going to get promoted. And I was like, what, wait, huh? And so I was a number two and we know we're promoting at least two. Um, so not counting my chickens before I'm hashed, but the, the projection <laughs> is, uh, they promoted the first guy already or they're about to this week. And he said, there'll be another position. So I had a chief's follow-up interview and they were like, yeah, as soon as the money's come available, this time period, this is when this guy's retiring, there's going to be a spot. You're next on the list. Um, so it was kind of one of those, it was kind of surreal a little bit. It was yeah. one of those moments where I've told everybody that has known my story. Um, it doesn't feel real yet because the, you know, it'll feel real when I get pinned and, you know, yeah. in front of that, but at least there's like this breath of, okay, barring the aliens landing, this is 2020, who knows what <laughs> happens in yeah. the next month. Um, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to kind of take the next transition in my career. So it'll be a good, it'll That's be a exciting. good moment. It's, yeah. It is weird to be in a little bit of a limbo waiting yeah. for it to happen, but knowing where you sit on the list and I, you know, I've seen this for years in, in my organization where you'll have a list that's, you know, pretty dang long yeah. and guys are like, Hey, I, they're going to get to me like, or, you know, or it's, yeah. I think I'm going to be the bubble guy and I'm going to be the last, like the guy who's right there and they promote the guy right ahead of me and I don't get made. And this anticipation, like maybe yeah. they'll get one more, maybe they won't. Oh, it's so, it's, it's, it's nerve wracking. It is. And that's where kind of, you know, we, we kind of know and everyone has relationships with people in an organization and you, and everyone has told me because I'm still like, I've told everyone, I'm, don't, this is not like I, I told my mom and she was like, <laughs> she, so she, she calls like my sisters and I was like, w wait, like the, the day we have the pinning, you can come down there and then we go out for lunch and all, right. then we can like breathe. Yeah. And, and I'm not taking <laughs> it serious until they give my first check. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just kind of go, you know, and, and two, we've, you, you kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, but now I get the opportunity to continue to prove all the things that I said I was going right. to do. Well, and and that, that's the exciting part. Yeah. So here's the thing, right? So you've got 17 years on the job. I think in all honesty, like, um, I think I made captain at 15 years. I know I made captain at 15 years. And I think that like, that's a, um, that is a, a really good breakover point. 15 to 17 years is a point in your career where as a, as a firefighter, you have gained a lot of experience. You've had a lot of opportunity to act out of class. Mm -hmm. And that really, um, it's a lot of, op it's, it's interesting. It's a different job. Once they, once it says captain on your shirt, things change a little bit. Um, and people, as weird as it is, but they treat you a little bit differently. And, um, so there's something in that, but, but the experience that you have at this point is, tremendous and now you can say you can step into this role as a company officer having some depth and breadth that you bring to the table and um personal maturity as a as a human yeah. being um as well as the experience that you have uh, as a senior firefighter and um and that that as a father you know with yeah. four kids like you have some perspective and depth so it's really you know i look i look back at my you know i took took my captain says twice and the chief says twice and each time I was disappointed, yeah. right? When I didn't get made. And then, and then what happened after that was learning. Yes. A lot of growth happened and in the, in the time period between getting crushed and then getting made, right? Like there's some serious growth that happens there. So I would, I would submit to anybody listening to this, that if you are in that process, that it is okay to fail, right? Yeah. Failing is, um, and I, you know, that's a strong word, <laughs> yeah. but it's not fatal. 
it's only fatal if you respond inappropriately. Right. And, and, and you know, the whole Michael Jordan quote comes to my mind, right? When he talks about how many, how many shots he's, how game, how many game winning shots he's missed. Yeah. Right. That's a lot. I don't remember the number. I can't yeah. remember the quote yeah. exactly, but that point, the point is the same is that, that there's, there's always an opportunity. And I really appreciate your, uh, tenacity because you could have said, you know what? Two tears in the bucket, man. I'm out. I, I don't care anymore. Yeah, and you could have just been a sour, sourpuss in the back seat. It, 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 you can easily. I think everything leading up to that. So the the journey from uh, when the physical kind of transformation and the mental health aspect. When I really start, and I, I kind of frame it this way for for younger guys that I talk to, or guys come on the job. I said mental health, physical health, super important. Mm-hmm. I go, they're going to help you dictate how you're going to respond and how you're going to add value in your organization. If you're taking care of those two things then you can contribute and whatever your role rank responsibility is like I was married to this idea. I mean, I sunk my teeth in it. Like after probably the third test, I was like, Oh, I, I'm not giving up. And I would start to laugh. It'd be a firehouse joke table. They'd be like, I'd be like, well, I'll retire or they'll promote me. One of the two. Like, so it's, I'm going to keep taking it, but it was never out of like, there was always this, this drive that I like, I'm like, I, I can do this and I know I can do it. We, <laughs> We looked up before this test. We have in our system, we use a, a record management system, um, and there is a way to look at how many days you moved up. So I went, I picked the date from the time I first passed the captain's test, like I was on the list, to the time now, and I had like 185 move-up days, not counting partials. Those are full 24 hours, like I was moved out of class, which is over a year of acting. And I tell people, and I've told myself this all the time, it's different being the actor but at the same time, it taught me so much. Like I wasn't ready to be a captain five years ago. There, I mean, I've I may have the skill set like to pass the test. Fundamentals, yeah. Yeah, fundamentals. I could run a call. I could manage a crew. But the difference between then and now, um, I have a lot of growth. I mean, I'm no under illusion that I there's a lot of growth that's going to happen when I actually have that you know go forward from there. But where I'm at now. I'm thankful for it. And it's a weird place to be in because you obviously want to get promoted early and you want that experience and you want the things that come with that. The the things that they don't really matter, but they do over time. Like you want to get to a busy house with a good crew and, and you want opportunities. You, you've got to prove yourself. You have to learn, you have to get through that first portion. So for me, where I'm at now, like time on the job where my kids are at in life, just all of that. I'm like, it kind of, seems like it's a good, it's a good thing for me. And it's a good thing for my family. Like it's a proper time for the, and that's the hard part to trust the organization sometimes going, yeah, they knew what they were doing. Like, (laughs) you know, we, we tell that to the firefighters who test for us. Um, we're going to give you the tools to do the best you can to present yourself. You also have to trust us that we're going to make a decision for the organization. That's the best too, because at the end of the day, that organization is responsible to the citizens and we're here to serve them and we're here to present. And so it's like this whole big messy thing. And you're like going, okay, I think I understand that. Let's go for it. You know, it's, Hmm. it's fun. So let me ask you this. What, what is one leadership principle that you think is that, that you want to make the cornerstone of your captainship? Well, that's a good question. Well, they're all connected. <laughs> Pulling one out. I would say this. Um, I want to be a good mentor. Like I, I, I want to be a good mentor. Um, I want to be able to help not only like 
guys who want to promote. Like, I have a fair bit of experience in the promotional testing process. Like, I can, <laughs> <laughs> I can show you, like, I showed my firefighter on my truck my binder of notes and then my over a thousand flashcards. And he was like, what? And I was like, that's a, a while of information. But um, not only but that, but from the side of, like, the mental health side, like, the, you know, I'm still, I'm not a, I'm not the most athletic guy. I mean, I like to ride my mountain bike and run around in the desert and stuff like that. But showing like how important and how physical fitness plays into the job and how important it is to eat together and how important it is to like that aspect of mentoring firefighters to be better so we can serve the community better. Um, I think that is something that just, whether I wanted it or not, it's kind of the trajectory my life has taken. And so I accept it. I'm like, yeah, this is something I want to be good at. So, yeah. If you could go back and tell 21 year old Billy something, what would it be? Ah, man, pizza tastes good, but don't eat so much of it. <laughs> no, um, 21-year-old Billy. Um, that's a great question. I would probably tell him that uh, don't be in such don't be in such a rush. Things take time. Like just be a little patient with it. Don't get don't get bent out of shape. Just there's like a level of like maturity, like that silent maturity. Um, just a little calmer, you know, I was, I was gung ho. I'm still a gung ho guy. Like, I mean, we know, like I don't, I'm, I'm go for it, but there's a perspective and a wisdom of like the tempo and the cadence and, and developing good things take time. You know, sometimes that process, you just got to let it work on you a little bit. And, uh, I probably would have saved me some heartache in the beginning, <laughs> but yeah, it was good times. So 21 year old Billy seems a long time ago. Yeah. Where were you at 21 military? Yeah. Tank? Yeah, I was riding around in a tank yeah. in M one Abrams at that point. It's interesting. Um the the people that we hire that come out of the military, their their perspective They're about, the best, right? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, their perspective at twenty one, twenty two, definitely different from, you know, some kid who, you know, ran around the force for a little bit with a shovel in his hand. <laughs> so Well, you know what I love, man, about life? One of my one of the things I just reflect on, I think, is really cool, is that everybody gets to have a unique experience, yeah. right? And and it, we look at other people and go, "Oh man, that guy, he's got this, and he did this, and that's that's amazing. That's the way." But I go, eh, you know, like everybody has a different path that they go down, sure. and they're all there's 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 a lesson in every one of our journeys that we can, if we sit down and pay attention to that lesson, that it's going to help us grow. And then we can turn around and mentor and give it to other people and share the lesson that we learned on our journey. And, you know, if you take, if you listen to some different people and you pull from the different journeys that you have, you can put together quite a, um, an interesting folder full of really interesting experiences that can help, uh, illuminate the path, you know? So yeah. I, I think it's really cool to, to talk about your, your experience and to talk about the tenacity that it took, the intestinal fortitude it takes to continue to come back and, and then eventually win the day. Right. So yeah, that relentless pursuit. I think I mentioned that before, like you just, you got to live it. It's relentless. The process never stops. Right. It just doesn't, you don't, you don't walk through even looking at being, you know, when, it, when, when this happens and that'll be a great day. Um, the journey is not over. Like I, I haven't arrived. Like there's so much more to learn. Like you just, you fall in love with the process. I think you'll be okay. Like, I think you'll always find a way that trajectory will always what you're saying. It'll just, you'll learn that like, okay, this is the next step into being 
what I'm supposed to be. And at 21, at 25, at 30, those all look different. At almost 40, almost what? You're 41, 42? Yeah, <laughs> 30. 30. 30 and some anniversaries. Yeah. Just kidding. 16 at heart. You know, yeah, you, you will you'll gain. Are we talking about age or maturity? I, <laughs> <laughs> I, so I still feel like a 16-year-old, you know, 16, 17-year-old kid, you know, bombing around in my 83 right. Toyota in Wickenburg with, you know, zero responsibilities and having a lot of fun. You know, those were good times. Those I enjoyed that. So. And now yeah. I've got kids that are going to be there soon. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing that we didn't talk about, you touched on it, but, um, you know, you and I share uh, a passion for ultra-distance running. Yeah. And um, it's it, it, lately I've been been struggling because I'm going through some physical issues, right? I had a tumor in my spine. Left me yeah, with some just a little, little stuff. like <laughs> Stupid crap. <laughs> you know, happens to everybody. Um, <laughs> but it left me, like, it, it, it changed my life, right? I can't. Uh-huh. So I have this drop foot now, and it, I, it it caused me to blow out my knee, weird, you know, muscle atrophy, all kinds of weird crap, right? Yeah. Whatever. The, getting old is hard. <laughs> dude, that, yeah, getting old and growing tumors, stupid. Yeah. So I don't recommend it. So what's interesting, though, is it's caused me to think about, um, think about, you know, I still have unfinished goals when oh, it comes man. to ultra running. And I'm like, man, there's there's things that I want to do in life. And I'm like, okay, I have to re-envision what that looks like now. 100%. And, um and I will say this, this is the thing about, you know, you talk about your pathway to becoming a company officer and the journey you've been on. And I think about running an ultra marathon. Rarely when you're running an ultra, are you thinking to yourself, oh, well, you're thinking about the finish, the finish, the finish. I got to get to the finish. But there's been times when I'm like, man, look at this view. This is so amazing. And, and I'm enjoying the experience and then the finish line shows up, yeah. right? And that those are the days that are the best. There are days when I'm on the side of the trail throwing up. Yeah, and, like, I don't want to be here right and now. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> yeah. this journey freaking sucks. Yeah. Um, but there are times when the journey is glorious. And I think that that is, we have to remember those days and focus on those days. And so as I'm thinking about my unfinished business as a trail runner, I'm like, okay, what can I do? What What do I need to do in my journey to get where I need to be And that process is the process. And I need to enjoy that process for it to be sustainable. Well, absolutely. I mean, I'm at the point now where, you know, I got three of my four kids are in sports, right? So my Saturdays are basketball and soccer. And I'm fortunate in the career we have, I have time I can train, but training for that takes time. Well, how do I carve out five hours to go run around the desert like a madman? Like, that's hard. And getting up at four in the morning, it doesn't sound that great, but it's a process. Yeah, same thing, goals, like, unfinished business uh, ultra running. I'm like you, uh, I got injured after my last ultra cause I didn't take care of myself. Once I got done, I just kind of like didn't do the right things. So I'm kind of battling back from that a little bit, but, um, I got goal. I mean, like I want to run a hundred, like it's there, dude. I, I, and I, it, I was today, I was riding my mountain bike and I saw a bunch of people, a couple people I know who are out trail running and I see them on Strava. I know what they're doing, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, man, dude, I would love to be able to go drop a 15 miler and on, on the morning. I'm just, I'm not there. How do I get back to being able to do that consistently? You know, and it's just a different time period. And so right. ultra running more than anything, the Ironmans were awesome. They were a lot of fun. The ultra running taught me more about myself than I, it was just, cause it's so solo. Sometimes you're just by yourself. Yeah. Um, the dark night of the soul when you're running a 55 mile race or 50 K or just the things you go through, your body goes through, your mind goes through, the, the weird places your mind goes to, Yeah, that revealed, I mean, I love it. I'm, I'm addicted to it. It'll always be a part of me. Like, I mean, it, that, that's a running, 
I know it's weird. I mean, I've heard lifters talk about this. People are really into lifting. Like there's just something about it. I get that from running, like lifting heavy weights. I mean, I do it cause I have to do it. <laughs> we go in the gym. It's I'm good like, for right, you. Yeah, it's good for us. We should do this. I mean, we need to be strong. Like, so I go on the, you know, the gym with my crew, but running, man, when you find that some sweet spot or that view or that trail or that, that sunrise or what, you know, that group of people you run with, oh, dude, it's religious. It's, it almost is. It's a spiritual, like, you're like, oh man, this is, this is it, you know? And then there's other times where you're like, oh, this hurts. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the, the, uh, eternal quest is to find that, that runner's high, right? That sweet spot. But that's the, you know, ultimately it boils down to, uh, we are here on this earth, uh, on a journey and, and there's so many different things that we are going to have an opportunity to do. And so just keep opening doors and keep doing things and keep, yeah. you know, I think reaching out to people is important and having conversations and, and, you know, making your quest known, I think is important. Oh yeah. Um, I always, I, I, one thing I've done practical, I do is I always tell people the goals I'm up to because it helps mm. me, keeps me accountable. Like I will, I don't, uh, I don't really hide things. I'll just be like, you know, Hey, what do you, what do you got planned for next year? I'm like, well, I want to do this and this. And they'll be like, okay. And so, so people will ask me like, how's it going? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be training for that. You know? <laughs> and so like, I, that's something I intentionally have always done. And it's right. like, okay. Hey, and you know, COVID messed up some goals for this year, but we'll, uh, we'll get back at it. Freaking COVID. You know, it's funny. It, uh, that's a, it's a weird experience, man. It's been, this year has been full of highs and lows and just oddities. Like, I mean, my kids have been home, obviously like most kids have been home and we were able to go to Colorado for two extended periods of time. Very fortunate. I had a lot of vacation, a lot of shift trades built up. Fortunate that I have a small little humble cabin that I can get away to. And, uh, we spent a lot of time this year in Colorado, which was awesome. (laughs) Like, I mean, it was just a lot. It was good for me and my kids. And like, you know, some days I was like, Oh man, can they just go back to school? But other times that's memories that they're going to have forever. So Good and the bad, you know. No. Hey, that's a great place to wrap up. I yeah. think that's the, we talk about what's important in life and, you know, the, it, you know, I, I was listening to somebody talk about the idea of retirement, right? Like spending all this time wait, sh- waiting for some far away day that they will take time and then they'll travel. Then they'll be with family or whatever. Um, and you know, you just talked about setting aside time right now to be with your kids and to be with your family. And, um, you know, you don't, you never really know what tomorrow is going to bring. So man, I would, I would submit to, to anybody that it's, it's important that you take advantage of the, the time you have today and, you know, tell that, people you love them. That pursuit is only good if you got the people you love along with you. It's not worth losing them if you're chasing after something that, yeah. you know, that's the priority, right? They're yeah. part of this journey. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a. Uh, been a crazy ride and then there's more of it to come i mean i'm excited so you know yeah well, we'll once you get pinned we'll have you back on and yeah we'll talk absolutely about what, <laughs> what, what it's what the transformation is like at that point yeah absolutely it'll be a couple months but you know right now just riding my mountain bike enjoying life and you know we got a lot of stuff coming up so be fun right on. thanks for having okay. me on thanks for taking the time yeah brother. absolutely Bye. hey that's all we have for today thanks billy for taking time and sitting down and rapping with us much obliged. If you are digging this podcast, go to whatever platform it is that you listen to, subscribe, and this podcast will drop in the middle of the night when you least expect it. Yeah. If you have any thoughts or feedback, feel free to reach out to me on social media via Facebook, 
Instagram, or shoot me an email at raingray at firegroundfitness.com. I'm totally open to whatever feedback you got. Uh, It'll only help us make this podcast better. In the meantime, go out there, get your hands wrapped around your life, figure out the things that you can do to make yourself more effective, more efficient, more capable, and get some.